Hello, welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to take a look at some of the revelations in the, quote, Facebook files that the Wall Street Journal has been publishing, and they really get into and expose the truth on how Facebook and Facebook-owned Instagram really work and how they affect us. And later on, we're going to look at some recent a recent study that looks at why the Dutch, who apparently on average are the world's tallest people, are getting shorter and looking at how we see these fluctuations in population as far as average height, you know, and so and now that is sometimes tied to things that make sense and other times is something that people haven't really ma- been able to make out. Joining me today is a man who is smoking on the mic like smoking Joe Frazier. Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, are you ready to take the people through how not a damn thing has changed and they got to protect their necks? I'm just upset you set me up with a smoking reference without telling me. And now I'm stuck without a comeback. So let me be embarrassed and start this show. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go. No comment. No comment. But no, no, we're we're recording this on September 20th, 2021. And this past week, we've seen the Wall Street Journal do some serious reporting with leaked documents and lots of research and so forth, like the real kind of media type stuff, you know, and they've released a series of stories and there's more to come apparently, but a series of stories with, they contain some pretty serious information on how Facebook gets down really and how they're affecting us. And the three big themes we've seen so far are how Facebook treats elite or celebrity users that's different than other users how bad Instagram is from a, like how it's been studied internally and so forth, how bad it is for young people, particularly young women, and also how the algorithms give huge boosts of, you know, uh, uh, of prevalence to content that's divisive or misinformation and so forth, because that's deemed to be more engaging or that that ends up being more engaging. So to get us going to day. What has your reaction been to, to seeing these stories and these revelations? Or is there anything that stands out to you the most? No, I mean, I'm not surprised. That I think is uh, maybe my biggest takeaway, that when I saw this uh, expose from the Wall Street Journal, it didn't surprise me that um, that Facebook uh, had knows these things. I think it's been well documented outside of finding leaked uh, research from Facebook's own internal kind of researchers. Uh, that there is detrimental negative effects to social media for not only our society in general, and I think you and I, even when we did the Social Dilemma documentary, uh, 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 you know, review on air here about a year ago or so, yeah. um, we that that documentary specifically pointed out to the rates of increase in teen of depression in teenage girls from 2013 going forward. So this information was out there, but obviously it's surprising. Um, well, I'll say, hey, I'm not surprised, but it's 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 telling that a company got this information that their product does this kind of harm, not only to society, and you and I have documented well over our kind of podcast career about this, the damage done to things like our societal discourse and our democracy, but generally we focused on the adults. I think this was the, 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 the eye-opener is that they internally – let's say the leadership of Facebook was told internally by their own research staff that this was affecting young people and children. And that's where, you know, I know I've seen this already in the media, but the analogy to things like tobacco and other products that not only are harmful to society generally, that's why I won't compare this necessarily just like to directly to fossil fuels. Like we know that Exxon and certain companies understood that their products caused harm to the earth much earlier than the rest of us did. But that's more that was of a still greater, kind of remote, though. Yeah, and, and that's also a greater good conversation. This is where executives got research that told them that they're hurting kids and they're making young women, and, and I'm talking teenage girls, more susceptible to suicide, to having mental health issues. And no, that's what I ba- mean, actually. Let, yeah, me, let me jump in real like quick. This is more sinister to me that they well, overlooked. 
but it's also more of a proximate thing. Like the yeah. fossil Exxon knows in 1970 that there's stuff called, you know, it's greenhouse gases and it could cause climate change. In 1970, the idea of climate change was so remote that yeah. you can actually understand why somebody be like, oh, you know, the world is huge. Like, even if it does, it'll be like 300 years from now. We'll have yeah, to, like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> this is like, this stuff is happening to people tomorrow. Yeah. Or, you know, like it's happening right now. It's, it is similar to tobacco in the sense that they understand like, hey, this is harmful to people. People are drawn to this stuff. They get they can get addicted to it, but we can make a lot of money on it. So let's roll with it. And that's actually the, what was the biggest the shock to me was how intimately they understood this. They being yeah. Facebook understood this stuff. This wasn't like there, there's no plausible deniability here. This is like they know they studied it. And but they in public they feign like oh we don't know for sure and yada 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 like this is one of those things where I look at them and say of course this is this way but you can understand how somebody who is in a position to benefit from it might try to convince themselves otherwise but it's like no they they didn't even convince themselves otherwise they knew and they just like hey dims the brakes and it's like oh man you guys are really you know like taking us you, you guys really don't care like you're just taking us down down the tubes you know for for a short quick buck yeah. No, and it's and it's and that's what I'm saying is that just like that's why it does remind me of tobacco because remember I mean I should say remember you and I weren't uh, we were probably alive but by the time we were young they they stopped all this remember that uh, tobacco companies were allowed to market to to kids like teenagers remember back in the day before the internet and before cable TV there was a lot going on in terms of publications you know remember like Mad Magazine Crack yeah. Magazine. There was a bunch of stuff that was for teenagers kind of things. And tobacco companies were allowed to advertise in those publications. Yeah. And in comic books, for example, you know, the old Superman comics and all the stuff that kids used to read in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so what happened is once the research came out that tobacco is long-term harmful and the general society understood it, uh, they were prevented from at least marketing to kids. The idea eventually, was kind of- Eventually. Yeah, and like it was just it like, happened right away, though. Well, and just like, um, just like with alcohol and, and firearms, you know, we kind of say, look, you should be an adult. You should be above the age of 18 before you can start doing this stuff on your own. And I think, you know, this might be the moment where our society, unfortunately, through Facebook's inability to be transparent and so now being caught with kind of their hand in the cookie jar, knowing um, that they knew certain things to which the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, was just on Capitol Hill in March of this year of 2021. We are here in what September when this stuff comes out. So six months ago, telling Congress that he recognizes and understands through the research of his company that social media has positive effects to mental health. So what it tells me is, you know, he's being just like when we talked about how we got into Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, where the policymakers cherry pick the intelligence from the intelligence services. This guy is cherry picking information from his research analysts. And um, and because I'm pretty sure there's somewhere buried in another study that there are some positive benefits to mental health. You know, they can find it. If correct. they That's really I mean. wanted to find it, they have all this data. They do all like this Like if stuff. I'm lonely and I miss my friends from high school and it's been 30 years since I saw them, I'm sure that you can say that there's an uptick in my emotional state if I get to see them on Facebook. But well, you're right. Well, it's, me- a, it's avoiding the, the total negative effects that, you know, he, he, he clearly is avoiding the conversation about what they know is negative to our society. And to the future of our society, our kids. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that that's one. I mean, they also have the other two big revelations or two two kind of themes, the the way they treat elite or celebrity users differently and how they the algorithm, you know, is is really geared towards just pushing divisive content as much as possible because that's considered to be more engaging. Um, that part, I think we've all known, you know, we've seen that in practice as far as how Facebook works, like to, to be, you have to be controversial, so to speak, in social media. And in order to, to get picked up, really, you know, like if you, if you get out there and say, hey, you know, all, all good here today, you know, like that's not stuff that people are going to react to. And therefore, that's stuff that's going to get buried. So I think that one was one that was a little more like just kind of like, of course, you know, like, and then how they, they, they treat the users, I thought was different, treat the users differently was different in the sense that the theme you can find with all of these is the kind of just unabashed and remorseless pursuit for profit because through them, for them, profit is engagement. So if they deem a user to be 
more inclined to get more, uh, you know, like more engagement because they're a celebrity because, you know, whatever, they're going to use kid gloves on it. They're not going to, to, to do much to, 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 to anger that person because they want that person posting because whatever they post is going to be more engaging. And, you know, with the, the, the teenage girls, they're just preying on them, you know, or, or with the, with, with children, they're just preying on them. They are in a time in their life when they're more susceptible to some of the pressures. And so therefore they're going to be unable to put it down, so to speak. Or, I mean, shoot, adults are going to be prone to that stuff, too. But at minimum, you know, with children, it's even worse. And and then even with the, excuse me, with the last piece where you're talking about um, rewarding, rewarding divisive content, the same thing. It's all about pursuing without regard for consequence engagement because engagement is what they sell. And so, you know, and, and ultimately it ends up just being, you know, a, a, a true, you know, capitalist story, you know, like where you have unregulated capitalism where, when that happens, then the businesses, I mean, you might as well have you get kids in coal mines, you know, with unmet regulated capitalism. Like that's yeah. how it's going to work. Like they're going to find the quickest, most direct and easiest pass to a dollar and just bang that until society regulates them and tells them they can't do that. And so ultimately, well, let me, let me, it's good to, well, let me like, just, yeah, just finish to wrap up it up. And then I want to help you clean that up. Ultimately, what it is basically is that this is the signal that we need that we like, Hey, we can't just let leave, this to its own devices because the quickest and easiest ways to the greatest profit are things that are harmful to society. Yeah. And I think, um, just to help you clean that up a bit, cause I can hear someone, li- you know, someone listening saying, Oh, this guy sounds like a socialist commie talking about capitalism, this and that. Well, see, that would and, be a closed minded person though, because well, that well, might I mean, be, I don't so know let how, me help them. So you're not going to clean it up for uh, them. No, well, their minds are already made up. Well, let me go. So, <laughs> so the bottom line is no, but to your point that Anything unregulated can cause harm. And that's my point, right? Like if we drove without any regulations, without seatbelts, without without um, lines on the street to tell us where the lanes are, without stop signs and stoplights and our ability to obey those, and the regulation is through laws. If we run a stoplight and a cop sees, we get pulled over. So, and then, you know, going into the capitalist side, you know, that's where we get back to things like healthy regulation of, let's say, the financial system. That, you know, Bernie Madoff's can exist running Posse schemes without being, you know, reprimanded. Um, And we just talked about it. Regulation of things like tobacco, alcohol, firearms that we don't, you know, market these things to children and all that. So, yeah, what you're saying is we've got a new industry. Like we all know, technology over the last 20 years has really disrupted our society. And, you know, we need to do a better job. And I think this is where it's interesting. I think they're coming from different angles and for different reasons, but it's landing on the same thing that in the rare moment of bipartisanship in today's maybe societal discourse in the United States, both kind of the quote unquote left and right are looking to do something about big tech regulations. And this idea that this section 230 uh, was done in 1996, 25 years ago, and, and the rapid acceleration of, of the, just how technology has permeated all our lives you know, it does speak to the need to really address this from a regulatory standpoint. Well, and- let's save that for the end when we talk about, yeah. you know, what the answers are. I'll say this, though, like anyone who hears that unregulated capitalism or the need, there's a need for regulation in, in, with, with market systems and capitalism and immediately jumps to socialism and communism is just uninformed. Like, is that person out there saying that food companies shouldn't have to tell you what's in your, their product? Is that person out there saying that gas companies should be able to put lead in their in their gas? You know, just because that's the market and they shouldn't have to tell you about it. Like there's a certain level of regulation that everyone understands is important to having an economic system. And so if you want unregulated capitalism, go to Afghanistan, you know, like that, that's going to be, you know, like you just do whatever your dollar gets you. That's what you get. But so I, I don't think I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying as far as how, you know, we just are have two different approaches. I'm, no. I'm trying to I'm trying to stroke them you're trying so to they give maybe them the can understand you're trying to give, and them the yeah, give the olive branch and you and you want to throw the hammer. But it's and okay. I'm like, well, but, but no, I'm, because I'm saying like that is such a knee jerk reaction to where if you if you hear certain words and you're like Pavlovian and you're just like, oh, I heard a, I heard regulation and immediately your brain goes, like that's like Pavlov's dog. I mean, and so it's not something that it's helpful that you do that. But we also have to to keep in mind that there is a certain level of regulation that nobody's out here disputing. And I'm not saying these people need to be shut down. All I'm saying is that this is kind of showing us that, okay, here are the holes that will be exploited if 
we allow them to just do whatever they want to do. And that happens in industry. And that's when we need to step in, you know, like whether it's, like I said, whether it's child labor or whatever you want to do. So I, like we can move on from there. The, the, oh, well, go ahead. Well, one thing I had, because I wanted to also, I was thinking as I was reading this, you know, I, I got off Facebook in 2019 completely. And so with a little bit of distance now, I kind of, it's amazing to see their growth since I haven't been on it. So I'm really, I, I, I don't want to ever get back on it actually. Um, but it got me thinking reading all these articles that, you know, this is another example where we don't ask questions of like, okay, so what's really going on here? Because it made me rethink about it. They never charged me to get on their platform, right? I never paid a penny to Facebook to be on their platform to see my friends or do all that. And so I started thinking about, let me go look at their revenue and how much these guys make. You know, this year they they they're projected by the end of 2021 to be in excess of 100 billion in revenue. Um which is pretty amazing. I mean, just in revenue alone that's that's amazing. So but I'm looking here at the last since 2017. Every year they just keep growing. So in 2017 they earned 40 billion in gross revenue, had 15 billion of earnings. 2016 was, um, you know, 55 billion. 20, sorry, 2018, 2017, um, 40, 2018, 55, 2019, 70 billion. 2020 was 85 billion. So you're talking about a company that. F- Four years ago, was generated a gross of forty billion, and today generates a hundred billion. Okay. And so, my point is, is that so I started thinking, well, if I'm not paying to be a member or anything like that, clearly they're not just growing their revenue through membership and all that. That gets back to what we've been talking about. They're selling our data. They're selling ads to people to divide us. They're selling, like you're saying, the algorithms are selling the most divisive entry points. For people that want to continue to make money off disrupting well, no, not no, no. only what, our society but these they're kids, they're selling. They're selling attention. They're selling the attention of their users. They're selling the data, which is what to put in front of the user. But really, the core of it is they're selling the user's attention. And so these things, what we're seeing is that keeping people's attention can have negative consequences. Keeping people's attentions at all costs can have negative consequences. And so, but their business model is that they, you're looking, if you're looking, it's no, no different fundamentally than broadcast television, you know, except that we know with, with, when they have your data as well, then it's like, okay, we know this person likes this or likes that. And so, well, and also I'll add to that in broadcast television, we can't interact back. That's the thing, right? Like this whole thing about the one, one of the articles was talking about when people start getting in disputes and all in the um, comment section, that the, that they, they just look to post the thing that'll get the most negative comments interaction. Well, but that people. doesn't affect, like from a business model standpoint, that again, that's a metric on how you measure how much attention you're getting. But even still, it's no different. I mean, and I, I'm going to- But remember, to- they can then sell ads and also sell space for content from, let's say- people that are looking to disrupt the narrative, right? Like we all learned about what happened with the way that certain actors not only used the 2016 election, but even 2020 election, they're all paying for that space too. So Facebook is kind of like saying, we just don't see what's happening, but we're still making money off all this commotion that's going on. So that's what I'm saying. It is a profit center for them to um, allow this kind of societal dysfunction to actually continue. Well, yeah, that, they take the money kind of to, proven, to promote it further. And, and that's then, what I'm saying. Like, they went from $40 billion four years ago to now $100. Clearly, I mean, yeah, it's, they're it's doing in their interest. Right? Yeah, that's what I mean. And, and, you know, and that's what reminds me. That's why I just well, want but, to finish up on reminding me about tobacco and other commodities because we learned through the social network that in 2018, data became the most profitable commodity in the world that surpassed oil and became a $1 trillion annual market. So it kind of goes back to like we said about climate change or tobacco. It seems like Sometimes in our, in societies, whatever is the hottest commodity that's making the most economic, you know, kind of progress and and and, and greasing everyone's wheels, uh, the harm to society ends up kind of being looked at as a secondary issue. And you know, well, I kind of see that clearly. I mean, but by that's, the company, and also that's not that's not limited to just successful. I mean, there are plenty of companies that do that of of all degrees of success. But I, I, we got to keep moving, though. I want to ask you this: How much of the problems we are seeing? Is it Facebook slash social media? And how much is just people? Like all of this stuff still comes back to our humanity when you're talking about treating celebrities with preference. That happens. You go to dinner. That'll happen. You know, like as far as kids and these like I've seen these same type of discussions as far as young young women, for example, with the magazines at the checkout at the grocery store. 
Yeah. Like that type of stuff. Now, th- that's not, as you've pointed out in the past, constantly bombarding them in their face all the time when they go home and everything like that. And even with, you know, the the, the third piece, as far as reward, rewarding divisive content, cable news pretty much has become that now. Like when, as soon as you took the, the the fairness doctrine out, when they when when news had to behave a certain way, had to behave in a in a newsy way, as soon as soon as they had to be entertainment, they went straight to the most divisive stuff, you know, for the most part. You know, the most divisive stuff has proven to get the most eyeballs in, in, in cable news. So how much of this are we looking at Facebook and how much should we be looking at as far as like, well, well you know, this is maybe just us. I think it's both, man. I think, yeah, obviously part of it is hum- humans um, because, you know, obviously we're reacting to this stuff. But I think this is this is goes back to where I've said, like, we may be starting to hit that point of singularity where like tech is moving too fast for our own human ability to kind of keep up with it through our evolutionary state. Because I think what's happened, and we've talked about this on various discussions on different shows, like the idea of think about fight or flight responses, that we're still conditioned as we were uh, when we were hunter gatherers, you know, thousands of years ago to, to secrete certain stress hormones and all that when the tiger or the lion was chasing us on the plains, the same triggers that secreted those those hormones back in the hunter-gatherer days, our, our minds react to triggers online the same way. So all the stress, things like that, and that's why we're seeing that we're not getting chased by lions and, and tigers anymore. But even those, you know, you were stressed out for maybe 10 minutes over maybe one week period because you either got eaten by that lion or you didn't. But now we've got people constantly on their phones having these stress hormones and these chemical secretions in their mind and their emotional state, like literally on 24 hours a day, because it's a part of what I would call, you know, the ecosystem, my favorite word. Social media is one part of it. Then the social media is also in cahoots with the cable news. And then so people get off their phone and on Facebook and they go turn on the news and then they're stressed out again. And if it's a kid, maybe they go and turn on a reality show to get shown how good someone else looks on that reality show, but they don't look good. And then That's they go what back I'm saying. To- like, yeah. you can so feel bad whole- about you. If you feel bad about your appearance, you can feel bad about your appearance in a lot of different places. Yeah. And so, and I think maybe one of the things with the kids is, at least, even with television, I mean, parents had at least an easier way of regulating when a kid's in their house. I mean, now um, so many things happen in, in a parent's home without them realizing because the kid's on their phone in their room. And they think, you know, they think the kid's in their room being quiet or studying or doing something. And then, and then, you know, they're, they're on a phone. So, and I think obviously I could hear someone saying, well, you know, you should just take the phone away from the kid and all that. And yeah, that's true. You know, there's obviously a ton of parents, you know, you hear a lot of doubt in your mind when you say something or when I say something, you hear a lot of people doubting us, don't you? (laughs) No, I just got a lot. I got a lot of devil's advocates in there. That's what I'm saying. Like, you you know, I can hear somebody telling me that this is some BS, but Screw them! Right now, <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the business of risk management, sir. Hey, I'm always I'm always looking for. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Where's the risk around the corner? <laughs> I'm looking for those shaking the you know the tall grass shaking and let me see what's what's behind there. Is it going to eat me or not? And so, but that's that's what I'm saying is that. So now we're talking about okay. Now we got to get on parents, right? So let's say I, I'll commend you and and myself. We're attentive parents. We try and regulate the amount of time for our kids online. Unfortunately, we know that probably 50% of all children in the United States probably have parents that don't pay attention and 50% do, but that's a lot of kids. And you're talking about now, and this is what I've, I've shared with you in the past in private conversations. We're almost living through a private, like, a, sorry, a, a, we're living through an ongoing experiment of humanity because in 30, 40 years, what's our society going to look like if half the teenagers today are literally stressed out and in depression already? Before they even get to work and have a real job and before they have their own kids, what, what are we doing here and, and what kind no. of society are we going to have? No, I agree with you, man. But see, now, I think that if this is something that is that we can separate out the specificity when it deals with when you deal with mass media, whether it be social media or even you know cable news or whatever, or even Netflix and you know that type of entertainment media. Because when you're dealing with mass media, your risks and the issues you're dealing with are amplified. And so I think the fact that Facebook is such a multiplier of all of the the normal concerns that we have, that we have to look at it more closely. And so when you have that, like 
it's not like if Facebook was an innocent actor or any you know social media or, or news media, whatever entity was a, was an innocent actor. If they weren't purposefully trying to figure out how best to to pull strings on people in order to maintain their attention, then you may look at it differently. But that's not what's happening. They are actually actively looking to exploit weaknesses in the human psyche. Like that's that's yeah. the game plan. And so we have to look at it from that standpoint. And now in the old days, and I'm saying old days like 200 years ago, companies had to, part of their charter had to be being for the social good. Hey, 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 that's, don't look at me as some whatever. That That's America at its founding. You know, companies in their charter, social good was a part of that. as It was required to that. Required. Are you telling me the founding fathers are socialist commies, sir? Uh, apparently. <laughs> if, if that's Jeez. one of your trigger you know words, if that's one of your trigger words, then that's what I'm saying. <laughs> don't look at me. But either way, that's not the that's not the case anymore. That that was taken out. You know, like one, one state took it out, and the rest of the states had to take it out, or else no nobody would form a corporation in any place but that one state. But either way, my point being is that we understand that we don't have the guardrails inherently on what corporations can do as far as exploiting us, and so that's why when we see these things, we have to be able to respond and respond in a way that lowers this amplified risk or or constrains this amplified risk that we're dealing with when pe- so many people can be got with one scoop. You know, mm-hmm. like even with if you compare it to a magazine that is sitting at the, the cash register at a grocery store, that still can't affect as many people in one swoop. And we're, compared to that to something on Instagram, that can affect a lot of people. And then there's a repetitive nature. It's already in your home. It's over and over and over again. So that, I think, is what you have to, to recognize here is that, it, yes, there is a certain level of inherent humanity here. But these are risk and concern amplifiers. And because they're amplifiers, we have to deal with it differently. I mean, in the same way that because you can drive faster in a car than you can run or walk, you have to be more careful as far as how fast people drive. Like, there's no when you're walking on the sidewalk, there's no speed limit for walking. Everybody's oh, if you walk faster than you know six miles an hour, we're gonna pull you over and arrest you. Like, no, because the risk is only so big because you can't go that fast. Well, in the highway, you can go much faster. So, in, in a vehicle, in a car, you can go much faster. So, you have to put more guardrails on it. Hazalan, the side, the, the highway is communist. But the, sidewalk, <laughs> but the sidewalk's not. Exactly. There this is go. interesting. I'm learning sidewalk a lot today. Sidewalk is, is um, unregulated. Yeah, that's unregulated capitalism. <laughs> that's but the unregulated. highway is a socialist. Wherever right. you are, however fast you want to go on the Now sidewalk. I got it. So now I'm going to have to try and drive my car on, a, on the sidewalk. That's interesting. <laughs> so anyway, but one of the things I was going to mention was, because you're right, what is it the humanity or the Facebook? And, and one of the things I was thinking of was, you know, Facebook provides a lot of things that on their own, aren't necessarily evil, but you know, let's just say we've got a society with a bunch of people on various sides of the spectrum, right? And you and I have talked about this. In any society, and I think this has been you know scientifically confirmed, you've got about ten percent of the population that's sociopath. That's just the nature of how humans are born, right? There's going to be a certain percentage of sociopath, certain percentage of susceptible to depression, maybe more than others certain percentage as this or that. And even, and you might have, you know, 1% that are schizophrenic and other type of issues that are pretty serious. And I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm just saying that when you give a platform like Facebook now to 3 billion humans, then if you and just theoretically ten, connect them all. Correct. And now they're all connected. If you have 10% of anything, that's 300 million people that are going to receive maybe information a certain way, like that an election was stolen or that you know a country is this doing this or that, or that a politician is doing this or that, right? Whether it's positive or negative, whether it's, whether it's Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. People that aren't on one edge or the other of the spectrum, like you and I and many others, can take that information and we can say, okay, let me process this. Let me kind of do some research and see. Certain people will take that information and run with it in a way that can be very aggressive. And, and so the that's, point being is that Facebook then will take the, the, the people who run with it and do divisive stuff with correct. it and amplify them because that's more engaging than the people who are well adjusted and say, oh, you know, that's a pretty interesting thing you say, but I'd have to see more proof. That's boring. Correct. Well, they're not going to amplify that. And, and so and what it does provide too, again, with without 
just in a vacuum, something like anonymity is fine. Like to be anonymous doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just a definition of you, you know, no one knows who you were when you did something. But think about what happens when you have, like you said, human beings in these large groups getting emotionally disturbed and now getting aggressive with each other on these comments. People behave in certain ways when they have anonymity that they would never behave in person. So the person that's calling that young lady fat and fat shaming her online, you know, some 90%, of them might, some of them, not, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying go, 90% would not. I yeah, mean, yeah, on, there's on. outliers that would be assholes and just say, oh, yeah. you know, you're a fat. But most people aren't that aren't indecent like that. Like they don't treat other people to their face. And so I think this is also the first time in human society, like you said, we put 3 billion people that technically can somehow connect with each other in a platform where they can also have a certain form of an- anonymity. And they you know, and this is what happens. And so that's why I wanted to say, like, I don't think it's, 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 like, I, I think it's a combination of the humanity and then the access to the triggers and the responses. And, and then the other part, just to get off my high horse, because I've joked with you about this comment that misery loves company, right? So I think that unintentionally, like, I don't think this is something that when Mark Zuckerberg founded this company in 2004, he set out to do. But unintentionally, people that are miserable, think about it. If you're unhappy with your life, you're unhappy for whatever reason, whether it's you're mad at your parents, how you're brought up whether you're someone that's racist or has a religious bigotry in you or something, then when you see people either having a good time online or you see people from the group you don't like, think about it. If you're already miserable and you're unhappy, you're going to try and make their life miserable. And you're going to start talking smack and all that, trying to upset them. And so just like sometimes I have people say some pretty um, not nice things to me on the street and all that, you know, when I was younger and I was less secure about myself, that stuff would bother me. I think about it for a few days, this and that. Now I can just keep going, but I can't imagine being a teenager of 15 years old because back then I wasn't secure and I was still forming who I am as a person. Yeah, that's to have part this of constant the, that's the part of the part of the problem here is that they're that's it, what I'm saying. attacking of the vulnerable. Yeah, you know, people in an age bullied, when they're vulnerable. Yeah, bullied, preyed on, and then also. Unintentionally, I mean, this isn't necessarily bullying, but yeah, young ladies who are seeing all this fakeness, like all these, you know, plastic surgery and all that, and they're looking at themselves, you know, that's why it was a shame to hear that in the UK, I think 13% of young women to teenage girls said they specifically thought about suicide due to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the revelations. Um, and and like, it's just like, what are we doing to these kids? That's yeah. all I'm kind of saying. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I mean, and it's it surrounds them. I mean, and I think you make a good point, you know, just as far as how like most people aren't antisocial. But social media almost promotes the yeah. people on the edge to be more antisocial. And then it amplifies and surrounds us with the antisocial people. And, and so and, it and becomes a crazy thing. Well, but I want, I want to keep moving here yeah. because I want to get to if I mean, the answer, this may be a quick section or a short section, but <laughs> what is the answer here? And I want to say one of the things I think is important to, to remember when we're talking about social media, this applies to, to media in general. Um, as long as it's not like a pure message board or something like that. And that is that Facebook, for example, Instagram, when we're talking about the algorithm, what we're talking about is they are curating what you see. It's not just in the order of things posted amongst people you're friends with or that you follow or whatever. They just show you that stuff. They're actually curating it. So they're not actually passive in terms of this. And I think that's always important to remember. A lot of times I don't think people realize that when you become a curator of information, you are different and you should be treated differently than just a hauser of information. You're not just a, you're not just providing a platform for people to say things. You are providing a platform for people to say things. And then you're deciding which one of those things is shown to people, which one of those things is shown to people repeatedly all in, you know, in this case, it's all about what's going to generate the most attention, what's going to keep people's attention. And so anytime we look at an answer for something like this, I think we have to account for the fact of the curation, you know, and so, but I'll let you go and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts and then, you know, we can wrap this section up. You know, and I, I, th- I mean, that's pretty much was, was my thoughts there about the kind of misery loving company that, that, that people well, well, like you said about, you know, most people aren't antisocial, but you get them behind a cover and it goes back to, you know, what's a good actually. And I, and I apologize. I didn't even think about this till right now. So I didn't have a chance to prepare it. I don't remember who the scientist was, but there was a study in the 19, either late fifties or sixties. And you'll recognize when I say it, it's the one where um, they had the guy in the lab coat and they had, it was fake, but the person who was the test dummy didn't know that. 
Mm-hmm. And so they were telling somebody to press a button and they were going to electrocute someone behind oh, the yeah, curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they weren't really electrocuting him, but they wanted to see how, when you couldn't see the victim and you were given an order, how far this could go. And this, this study came out after, you know, the whole Holocaust and Second World War when, you know, humanity and kind of science was trying to figure out how could all these people do this to other people? And they kind of found that, I mean, this Facebook isn't necessarily taking orders part of it, but the anonymity part. When you kind of don't really have a connection to the victim and you don't see their pain and all that directly, it's easy for a lot of people to look the other way. And I, I would o- say ordinarily or otherwise wouldn't like yeah, obviously who, the sociopath will do it anyway. But yeah, the, that's the as you pointed out before, that's a smaller number. But more people when they can't see the victim, when they can't see what happens, even if they know what happens, if they can't see it, you know, like it, it removes this kind of social block that a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and thankfully do have. And, and I would say this, I mean, just talking about hearing myself say it, it, it's a good example of that when, when you're not faced with something regularly, you may overlook it. And I think it's kind of like these young ladies who are on these social media things are suffering in silence because the rest of us aren't really seeing it. And it's not really, obviously, it's, it's all mental. It's not something we really see. Well, but that's I the importance of the studies, you know, is that it l- at least allows us to know that it's something that is actually happening. Because the other piece about it is that the people who, it's, who are suffering think it's just them. And yeah, so exactly. it's hard for society to get a handle on the scale of it. And honestly, for people to get the political will to do something about it, because as long as it's anecdotal, as long as when it hasn't been studied and the studies aren't public, it's difficult for society to react. And so for me, when I look at what we can do, I think one, I think, and you kind of uh, touched on this a little bit when you're talking about like smoking or whatever. I think we should consider age uh, appropriateness yeah. as far as unfettered use to these things. Like if this is that harmful to people in a developmental stage in their life and it is that accessible and that effective at being harmful, then we we'll have to look at some other way to control it. And I mean, this this is going to, again, get down into that regulation aspect. Yeah. And I don't have all of the answers. Like what I do see and what we all need to look at is are the problems and then figure out ways that you can address these problems that aren't overly or unnecessarily punitive or restrictive. And so whether it be age ranges, whether it would be establishing that there's a different kind of liability if you're going to be a curator of information, of false information in particular, if you're going to curate false information, there's going to be a different legal standard that you're you're held to as opposed to, again, just being somewhere where people can publish something. If you're just, and, and where you'll see this difference, and I mean, now I'm going to go into a little bit more detail just because I'm an attorney and I deal with this stuff sometimes. Internet service providers deal with a lot of the same things as far as when you talked about Section 230, which gives... Um, it, it limits liability or gives it prevents people from having liability for things. If they're just hosting places where people can put stuff, they're not liable for what the person put somebody else says, so to speak. That's generally what that's about. Internet service providers allow you to put up a website. They don't promote your website though. And so they would be, I look at as a different standard than Facebook who allow you to po- post content. You can put up a website full of false information, but GoDaddy is not going to be sitting there promoting it because it brings more people to your website, you know, for them to make money. Like that's not what GoDaddy does. Whereas Facebook, you can put up a Facebook page full of, of false information and Facebook will actively promote this without you paying them any money. Now you can pay them money to, to promote it more. But without you paying them any money, they'll actively promote your false stuff because they deem it as being more engaging and therefore they'll be able to sell more advertising based on it. So they're curating information. I think the the distinction between a curator and a, you know just some place where something can be put should be considered when you're coming in with solutions for this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I man. agree, bro. So no, it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a pickle <laughs> no matter what, man. There's no going to be no, and it'll be some trial and error too, and that's going to be another one of those things where. Like it's not going to be smooth sailing as we try to find some type of uh, of setup here where it's not actively destroying society. You know, like yeah. it's not going to be pretty. It's going to take some trial and error and some things that there may be a little overreach. You got to pull back, or there may be we do something that's not enough. And so that part of the process, ideally, we can get through that or get to that and through that part of the process with people who care and aren't just trying to, to 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 rile us all up but we know that's not going to be the case you know people just have to be you know discerning as far as how they receive information and that i mean it's hard to say that obviously because you're saying oh well be better to the people as far as what you receive and how you react but 
I mean, ultimately, if we're going to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, that's going to be end up being a part of it as well. Yeah. And I think just like tobacco, fossil fuels, all that, you know, like I said, that's why I pointed out 2017, four years ago, they made 40 billion. This year, they'll make over 100 billion. That's jarring. So they're not, they're not going <laughs> to stop it on their own. That's, you know what I mean? It would like, be crazy why, to stop on Why their own. would they? Yeah. yeah. And if I, was, if I was a Facebook shareholder, I wouldn't want them to. And that's where, you know, then, then that's well, where Well, if they, you were short-sighted, because what can end up happening in these type of situations is that it could be whatever, if they don't get it, that's what you hope, is that they realize that they get it under the control themselves. And so therefore, when society steps in, society won't be so punitive that to try to, you know, just bury them. And so, but most of the time, as you point out, most of the time people say, hey, I'll take my chances. I got lobbyists yeah. too. I mean, I think this whole, <laughs> so, this whole expose is means, and the fact that I cited that in March, the CEO of Facebook was in front of the US Congress saying that our research tells us that, ment- you know, that, that social media promotes better mental health. Yeah, yeah. Tells us exactly yeah, what- like They've know, made their not. Yeah. They're not going to self-regulate. So now we got to get socialists and commie on them. <laughs> <laughs> In the words of Tunde or, or anyone who has that Pavlovian reaction. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we can move on from there. I, now, you're a tall guy. You know, so like you, you've told us about the, the, all of the, the, the many great times and, and amazing things you've done as an NCAA basketball player. And so I, I wanted to talk about this with you as far as this average height thing. So we saw a study this past week. And or a week past few weeks, and it went into like the premise of the study and, and of the reporting is that Dutch one Dutch are the tallest on average people in the world, and two they're getting shorter in the last 20, 20 30 years or whatever, and it's on average. And so, don't know what to make of that though, because like does average height of a of some selected group really matter? Particularly when you're talking about millions and millions of people, and there's people immigrate and all this other stuff. Does you know does average height matter? And then obviously. The point being is that in these is that there's more to it than just genetics. So, you know, like what's your thought on, you know, these kind of trends that we see? Because the article actually pointed out other trends in height yeah. that were kind of shocking. You know, yeah. so just your reaction to, to this as far as either the, the particular um, pr- the, 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 the frontline premise as far as the Dutch or even some of the other stats that we saw. Yeah, the other stats were pretty interesting. Um, no, it's funny. First of all, let me let me clear it up for you. I did some amazing things off the bench, um, <laughs> cheering in my practice. teammates and and, and in practice, <laughs> them and ready. making sure making sure that a couple of guys that actually had great NBA careers from my college basketball team did very well. So, yeah. so well, your yeah, height so, served you well with that. Yeah, so my height did serve me well. Had I had another six seven inches, I might have joined them in the league. But you know, so <laughs> I was only blessed to be six foot four and not six ten. <laughs> um, so, so, um, but no, on a, on a serious note, it's interesting because I even thought about it while reading this number one, it reminded me about recently, the one we just did, I think last week about the, the jaw and the teeth mm-hmm. that, that some of it is our nutrition and how, uh, we eat in the modern time affects our physical development. So just like the jaw, this is, you know, they're talking about height here and it sounds like what they're saying about specifically this Dutch issue might be, uh, poor quality of, of diet post-1980, um, that they started eating more processed foods, fast food, you know, uh, franchises started creeping into that country, you know, all that. So it's interesting that, you know, it, we're, you know our style of, of food and, and consumption um, being exported isn't um, always Making well received. people shorter and fatter. Yeah, in other parts <laughs> of the world, yeah. And um, which is interesting because, Remember, I, and I've lived overseas, you know, they do have different regulatory things uh, in the, the various countries about what they allow even American franchises in terms of to put in the food. So what I, it got me thinking is, you know, we got the opposite issue of, you know, there's so much hormones in our chicken and our meat in the United States and fast food generally, especially back in the 80s and 90s, that you had girls in middle school basically looking like they were fully developed by yeah. 13, 14 and it's like the opposite. Well, what we mastered in this country, though, and to the point you're making, is we mastered the art of the cheap calorie. And so, right. and part of that was because our science erroneously thought for so long, and I think people still think this, is that calories are just calories. It doesn't matter what they are. Macronutrient distribution doesn't matter. Like, where the food... Like, and so... We mastered the cheap calories, so nobody will starve because they don't get enough calories, but people aren't as nourished. But here's the thing that I, I think is important when you're talking about average height. What you're really talking about is bringing up the bottom a lot of times with the average height. And so what they're, w- with these things, like perhaps what you're t- to what your point, that the diet amongst the, the lower classes, if it's so bad, that'll bring your average down. 
So yeah. that's why I wonder what to make really of the average with these things because average really is, is taking all the people and saying, okay, yeah. what's the average? But what's the average as far as people that eat regular food and aren't just you know scrounging? I don't know. But yeah, the thing that was the most fascinating in this to me, and this go, forget processed food, America, all this other stuff. They said that women in South Korea had gained yeah. <laughs> 20 centimeters in average height in the years between 1914 and, and, and 2014. So in 100 years, you know, that's almost like that, that's almost a quarter of a meter, basically. Like that's that's like that's more than I would say I'm doing quick math in my head, but that's more than a half of a foot. And so that's like, whoa, like, like how does people get that much taller that much? Like and that's not a society. We have a bunch of people coming and going. And so there, I think that there is another step to be trying to, to, to understand from here. I don't know that we've got there yet. But it may again, maybe it's just make it so that you don't have people that are so destitute that they all they eat is carbs or something like that. Like they get yeah. some protein, they get some healthy fats or whatever. And so your average comes up then. And maybe, you know, like, again, maybe it just, it's just that. But that type of change in 100 years, I would think that that's like something that would take a million years or, you know, like. A, no, that's a couple fascinating because what's a centimeter is 2.2 inches, I think. So you're talking about, um, you know, maybe eight inches yeah something i mean that's like you know, almost 10 i mean that's like yeah going from like five foot to five foot eight that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge big. difference yeah that's a pretty big difference so that's probably more of a fascinating discussion which is not for this show but more of how different different human societies probably were just up until a few hundred years ago well yeah remember if we you, talked about the caffeine thing it, it's yeah. it's similar in the sense that we just no, again, I mean, to, to observe like, but that's what i'm saying to observe that much of a change that quickly is like that is a that's something it, you would imagine it's something big in terms of the way that they're living and so i mean it, it's yeah well, I, I, we I, still have certain people that are humans homo sapiens but they've evolved much differently than let's say we're used to seeing our society i mean there's still pygmies in the congo like literally yeah. bush people that live in the jungle that the tallest you know man is four foot five yeah and they're just but they're humans they just evolve different because in the jungle if you're my height you know you're gonna run into a tree and not get too far so, so well, it makes, see, and that's the, but that's the kind of evolution we're used to seeing. Like you, yeah, exactly. there, there are populations time. that are taller or shorter or thicker or, you know, built for different things because their environment, even you could point to, to, to the size of nostrils is, you know, large nostrils are, are conditioned to breathe warm air. Narrow nostrils are conditioned to bring cold, breathe cold air because it warms it up. And then, and then they're like, we can look at all types of adapt adaptations, you know, in human beings based on where their ancestors spent a lot of time. But this is just one of those things that it's like, so if, if, if like this be like the pygmies all of a sudden being five feet five, yeah, like, oh, <laughs> what happened here? You know, after centuries and millennia of being something else. And so, like I said, I, I think that- Maybe that, that means they ate a McDonald's hamburger from the US. <laughs> How about that? With, with beef from Australia. <laughs> no, no, they didn't have the Australian beef. No, they, they got the hormones. Yeah, uh, there you go. That's what I'm saying. The beef was from like South Texas, man. You know, good old- Stick the syringe in there and pump them up, man. <laughs> hey, you got, man. See, you'll have your first pygmy. hear that, man, and think you're anti-American. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'll say that I'm pro-pygmies being in the NBA. I want to see the go. first point guard at like six foot one. He'll be like the tallest pygmy in history. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I think, like I said, it, it was. He'll get more playing time than I did. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, no, I think that. Like I said, I don't think I think there's another shoot to drop here. Like this, but just seeing even more than the Dutch part was the the Pete seeing that South Korean women thing is how they're growing. You know, they're they're on average that, that, so much taller because that there's nothing in our like even with diet. Like okay, so it is discussed that your diet can play a role. Other environmental and developmental things can play a role. Probably stress things like that can all play a role. You know, but genetics still play a huge role. So. One of the things that's being that, that people are understanding more now that they didn't even you know 20, 30 years ago is how our genetics are in, in part hardwired, but there's also what's called epigenetics, which is what gen what genes are turned on and which are turned off, and that's based on lifestyle conditions and all that kind of stuff. And so perhaps with height, there's something to that as well in terms of that's something you can turn on or turn off. And it, I mean, if you tell people that, man, whatever it is that the South Korean women were doing. People are going to be doing that all over the world. You know, people are, oh, we can get six inches, we can get eight inches. Like, it's such a big change that, you know, like, I think this is, I think this is the beginning. Hopefully, this is the first thing that we've heard about this that's going to go somewhere crazy.
No, but I think your instinct of thinking, there's probably a lot more factors into this that, you know, science will continue to learn and all that is, is, is probably accurate because obviously, like you're saying, that's a huge jump, um, you know, almost 10 inches, let's say uh, 20 centimeters in a hundred years for one human population. But you're right. We could look at things like diet. Also, I think one thing that we can say, let's say from 1900 to 2000, you know, let's say uh, that hundred year period. What has continued to 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 go on mass is is human uh, globalization and 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 kind of everybody around the world kind of coming together. And I think you know the mixing of all these different groups over the last hundred two hundred years has probably made the world more of a level playing field as relates to things like height. Whereas you know you might have looked in the year eighteen hundred to where my dad's from in Nigeria in a place like the the Netherlands and. On average, maybe those people in those regions were a foot taller than everyone else in the world. Now they might only be three inches taller because also people so you're like saying my, like people are kind of regressing to a mean. Yeah, because of, of also look at like my example. My dad moved to Washington D.C. and met my mom, who's European, and they had me. So my point is, is that that didn't happen, you know, three hundred years ago. People just didn't move like that around the globe. So I think forget what the you, globe, man. People didn't go outside of villages. Yeah, you're right. And so you know, you're mixing. Of, you're right. Yeah, you're mixing. So that's my point. Like maybe. Pool. Maybe there was just a greater influx of people able to travel through Korea, you know, before the whole, you know, war with America in the 50s and all that. But just, you know, and from Southeast. The, the war with America. I mean, we and, got and through Southeast. America. Yeah, and you're right. Through Southeast Asia, other Asian nations, maybe Indian immigrants and other countries from the region, you know, the people were passing through and things were just, you know, people were mixing. No, I actually, I think, I think the takeaway is a little different than that. It's more so it's the habits and the things that you like, the, 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 the nutrition and the habits as those become those are spread much more than actual human beings are spread. You know, that like, could so, be the case too. Yeah, and that so is the that influence does of cultures. Cause, yeah, exactly. That causes you're right more about the of bases. a regression, you know, because certain cultures may have had access to things that let them grow more or, or <laughs> you know, not. But to bring in a few things from other shows. So the Korean bases, which you know I'm a fan of, um, having us sit, sitting there since the end of the Korean War, um, allowed for the cows to be imported from the American uh, cattle ranches so then the Korean women could get the hormones. See, I got it all on the You got control. it all covered, man. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I think we can wrap it up from there. But I mean, I, I think we talk about this only because, like I said, I think this is the the, the first kind of shoe to drop. I think there's another one here or Dude. another two or three that are going to come behind this. Because, yeah. hey, man, if you if you if they isolate, though, something, hey, if you do this with your kids from when they're three years old to 10, this is what's going to happen. The world's gonna go crazy, man. I think that like that's gonna be. Hey, I'm a, I'm a I'm a patent attorney, man. If anybody comes up with that patent, <laughs> that person is gonna have more money than anybody. Uh, or just your luck, they'll come up trying to put three to ten year olds on social media. What about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be it. We it's, gotta end the we gotta end the show. Else it'll be get on social media, and that'll make you grow six inches. We gotta we gotta we gotta um, end the show before I try and connect the six degrees to Kevin Bacon about the hormone on the cattle. And and how it gets from point A to point B globally. So yes, yes, you yes. might as Don't well you might that. as well bring us up. <laughs> but yeah, no, we appreciate everybody for joining us. Uh, you know, as we take it through these two topics. And until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm the guy sitting on the edge of the bench. <laughs> hey, but you're keeping keeping the starters sharp though. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, um, but no, we appreciate it. Again. I still got a uniform. It was. <laughs> nope. And um, yeah, it, subscribe to the podcast. Call it like I see it. Rate us, review us, tell us what you think, and we'll talk to you next time.